Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with John, or J.P. Riley, who's a summer associate in Foley's San Diego office. In this discussion, J.P. reflects on growing up in Chesapeake, Virginia, attending James Madison University and the University of San Diego School of Law. He also reflects on his life prior to law school, where he was a high school music teacher and tells us exactly what it was that caused him to decide that law school was his next step. JP as a rising 3L also discusses what it was like transitioning to law school, how Foley came on his radar and his experience as a summer associate in Foley's San Diego office. One of my favorite parts of this discussion is actually not a part that was recorded because I think it was after we got off the show, I told him that there were a few things he said that I thought were going to sound scripted as if I told him to hit on certain things. And he laughed and he said that he had actually listened to a lot of episodes of the podcast. And there were at times he wondered if it really was as genuine as it sounds. But now he knew it was because he'd seen me essentially start the show and do the whole show in a sweatshirt from my dining room and without us really doing much prep beforehand. As I told him, I expect people to be experts in themselves. And I'm just as intrigued as I think, you know, you who are listening as to where we're going to go or what the guest is going to say next. So I definitely let him know the show is not scripted or staged in any way. But with that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with JP and especially his advice at the end about the importance of trying new things. JP, welcome to the show. Let's start by having you give a brief professional introduction. I am JP Riley. I am a student at the University of San Diego School of Law going into my third year, and I am a summer associate at Foley and Lardner in the San Diego office in the litigation department. All right. So everybody's most likely everyone who listens are mostly law students are wondering, well, what's that experience like being a summer associate? How'd you end up at Foley? But let's not talk about that for a relatively significant amount of time and instead talk about you, which is let's start at the beginning, which is where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Sure. So I am from Chesapeake, Virginia, which is in the southeastern part of the state, right on the North Carolina border. And I was born there, grew up there, went to high school there, and then eventually I went to college in Virginia before moving to San Diego. All right, give me, I got to get the snapshot. So I find you in Chesapeake, Virginia in sixth grade. What is life like? What are you into? Very busy. My parents kept me in as many activities as possible, which now like as an adult in hindsight, I'm realizing is probably to give themselves a break from dealing with me, but also to just expose me to a lot of things. So I was really fortunate to be able to do a lot. I, I really love sports. So I grew up playing soccer and baseball, like pretty much all the way through middle school before exclusively sticking to soccer. And then in sixth grade is when I started band and uh, kind of fell in love with that, which I'm sure we'll talk about because I eventually became a music teacher. But uh, I was like, but will we talk? And I was just kidding. Yes. So I started <laughs> band in sixth grade. And so what, what instrument? I played the trombone. Yeah, that was between sports and music. Yeah, that was like most of my time as a middle schooler. Do you have any siblings? So I don't have any siblings that I grew up with. I do have a half brother who is significantly older and we never lived together. So effectively, uh, we both had our stints as only children. I'm an only child. I feel like we get a bad rap that people will, and I understand you have a, have a sibling, but in terms of the, the experience in the household was you is what I'm hearing. And I just, I think being an only child is fine. And I don't personally think that we're selfish just to put that out there. No, not at all. And, you know, I was really lucky to do all those activities because I made lots of friends. And so it was, you know, almost like I had lots of brothers. And so it was, it was nice. Well, my thing about being only child is it maybe made me appreciate school more 
than those with siblings because I've they my parents treated me as a little adult because I had to kind of conform to them. And then also people will say that only children aren't good at sharing, but I actually was good at sharing because it was a temporary thing. Like, yeah, you can borrow this because you're leaving <laughs> at some point. <laughs> so that's just some things I want to clear up about the only child experience. Yes. School was very serious for me as well. All right, but that's enough about only child. We can move on. I just felt the need. This is finally my time to get on my soapbox and to clarify that. Anything, do you want to mention anything related to your parents in terms of profession? Or I just like to give people that opportunity because sometimes there's interesting things worth highlighting. Well, at one point, so my dad was a, a paint salesman, which is what he did his entire life. And at one point they owned a company that was, uh, my grandfather was a paint salesman, Riley Paint Company in Durham, North Carolina. And then my dad, and eventually when he married my mom, they ran the store together. But, you know, like the rise of like big box stores, Home Depot, Lowe's, HQ, you know, that was not no longer feasible. So, but, but he continued his career as a paint salesman later. But my mom has always essentially worked for the local government. She still works and she's um, works in community programs, primarily with homeless folks in the community, trying to get them resources, shelter, and all of that. But she is the outlier of her family, which is all lawyers. Oh, that's interesting. So her dad was a lawyer and eventually a judge. Her brother and sister are both lawyers and they both her brother and sister married lawyers. So us grandchildren were surrounded by lawyers all the time. And hilariously, I, I think we unspokenly swore that we would never become lawyers because we saw the spectrum of well, and lawyers. And here you are. And you apparently tried your best to not be one. We'll talk about, we'll talk about teaching music and all of that. That's really interesting. I'm curious though, the store that your, that your parents had, did they have it when still have it when you were a kid? Like, did you ever spend time there? No, I didn't. They sold the store in, uh, I don't, I don't know if it was like within like 10 years before I was born, but eventually they moved up to Virginia and, you know, had like a reset and then I came along. So I, I have never saw the store, but I've like seen where it, it was, where, you know, they spent a lot of time where my, where they lived and all that stuff. So we've been to Durham quite a few times. That's really interesting. And you can tell, I think all the listeners can tell. I really, it's hard for me to stay on task <laughs> sometimes, but I'm like, fine, enough about the family paint store, even though I really want to know about it. We'll keep moving. You mentioned band. And so I'm going to guess as we move you along in life to high school, comment on how those interests changed, what you are up to, and even that thought process going into college. So I think as most people experience like when you're young, you get to like in elementary, middle school, you try lots of different things. And then by the time you get to high school, you've got to focus on a few things because they get more, you know, serious and intense. So for me, it was like in the fall, it was all about band doing marching band. And then in the spring, it was all about soccer because that was soccer season. So it was kind of like a, a nice split. And then, you know, you take band class throughout the year. So I fell in love with marching band, which I Honestly, I think going into high school, I was debating whether or not even to continue with band. And and I think uh, my middle school band director told my mom, like, just try it. Just have them try it one year. And of course, like, I was hooked. It was a, you know, really great community of different people than I was with in soccer. So it was like really cool to have lots of different folks that I would spend time with. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. I loved going to band competitions and like there's lots of traveling and you just kind of build a really deep camaraderie with those people making music together, which is really special. And ultimately what led me to decide to become a music teacher, because it's a unique environment in school making music, whether it's band, orchestra, chorus, you know, you're all together. You, everyone is equally important, relying on each other, making music together. And then I honestly always thought that I wanted to be a teacher like all throughout high school, but I didn't know what I wanted to teach. And I don't know if I just had like a realization one day that music was, you know, it meant enough to me that I would... What do they say? Teach what you love? Yeah. So then... Uh, eventually I decided that I, I would try to be a music teacher. So I, you know, started looking at schools and auditioning and the next thing you knew I was, I was doing it. So. Well, first I'm going to comment what I think a lot of people are thinking and I could be wrong. And also I'm cognizant sitting here as a diversity professional 
and peddling and stereotypes, but you mentioned there are different communities between band and soccer. And one, it never occurred to me how those seasons may or may not overlap, but I do think maybe elicits the stereotype of the band geek not being the same as the person who plays soccer. And so I just think it's really interesting, you know, what you already said about the communities, but I, I just had to say the word band geek, apparently. Well, it was actually kind of cool because at least where I went to high school, most of the folks that did band also had like their other thing. So it was like a chance for those people from like all different sports and other activities, like to be together in one thing together. And then they, they we all have our separate interests. So it was kind of nice to have a, a shared thing and be band geeks together. And then, you know, in the off season, what's like, we're going to each other's like swim meets and soccer games and, and all that stuff. So it was a lot of fun to share that with those people. And I've already forgotten. Did you say your instrument was? Trombone. It was trombone. Okay. For some reason in my mind, I was like, did he say trombone or tuba? And they're very different. <laughs> I felt the need. I felt the need to clarify. So you're hitting late high school. You have this passion for music. What's the thought process around college? Where do you go? How do you navigate that? In hindsight, we really didn't know what we were doing. My mom and I were like trying to chart a course. Like, you know, like what okay, college, these colleges are good. Like they have good reputations, but in music and particularly wanting to be a music teacher, like that's a totally different set of schools that you might not have ever even thought about going to. And so- Or heard of. Or or heard of, yeah. Yes. And so if I could do it again, I would have probably applied to like a totally different set of schools. But in the end, it worked out. I wanted to, to live and work in Virginia. So I mostly applied to Virginia schools, but I applied to a couple of- out-of-state schools. And in the end, it was between Indiana University and James Madison University where I ended up attending. And, you know, I I think I would have had an amazing time at Indiana University. They have an amazing music program, but it worked out to go to JMU in Virginia because it was close enough to home that my parents could come see me perform, but far enough away that they couldn't you know, stop by. So it was like a four and a half hour drive. That was going to be my guess. I was like, it's at least four hours away. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. So it's up in the mountains of, in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, which is an incredibly beautiful area. And so, yeah, I just, I like went around to a bunch of different schools, did auditions and JMU just like, I never had anything bad to say about visiting there. So it was like, I remember making like a pros and cons list with my mom comparing schools. And she was like, I think you made your decision when I couldn't really list any cons about going to to JMU. So So I'm following along. This is what I do when I record these episodes is I follow along to the extent possible on someone's LinkedIn. So I see James Madison University, Bachelor of Music, Music Teacher Education. So that's the official. And honestly, of course, there's music teacher education, but it never occurred to me until this moment that that was the specific learning path because I kind of, I don't know what I thought people did. And I say this, I shouldn't be as ignorant as I sound. So my grandfather was a jazz trumpet player and also band director. So he passed about 15 years ago, but he did all this mostly in Columbia, South Carolina and had some really cool stints in New York and up and down the East Coast playing with, name all the names of famous trumpet players you've heard of before. But I remember him giving music lessons. I remember people from school stopping him to be like, I remember when you were my teacher. I also think of him as being a very exacting individual in a way that music teachers and especially band instructors have to be. So that may not be the case, but that's what I learned from him. And you kind of made a face as I was saying it. So I don't know if that resonates at all. I think that fits with the classic conception of a band director. It's funny because people often say like music is one of those places where you can't be less than 100% because you miss one note and like, and it's just wrong. I think that philosophy kind of, it pushes through. I mean, Ultimately, in the end, it's okay if it's not perfect because it's really never going to be, but you expect perfection. And so there is that that exacting nature in a lot of music teachers. Well, so what was it like when you go to college and adjusting to the, is the curriculum similar? Is it different? Do you, do you, cause the thing is for someone who's not a musician and like I, I played piano for a while, but I do not consider myself to be a musician. I don't really have an understanding of what that's going to look like when you're focusing on music in higher education. It kind of depends on the university and how they structure it, but my degree was a bachelor of music. So, you know, if you think about like the classic, oh, okay, you got to take like 
X number of science classes, X number of foreign language classes, like a lot of those extra requirements we didn't have because we had so many credits to take in music. And we started off with our major right away. I was taking, you know, three or four music classes in my first semester of college. So it was very much like jump to the point. It's so much to the fact that like I had to save my general education classes, the ones I did have to take for the very end. Like in my last semester, I was taking like a Tai Chi course and like a intro to macroeconomics, like these things that I had like essentially had to put off until the end because we were jumping in so quickly. But it was nice and it was actually in hindsight, I can say that it was kind of similar to law school in that it's like very cohort based. You essentially take the same classes with the same people throughout all four years because you're in this track of developing to become a music teacher. And so we were all very close. And then, you know, I would have to say my fit, this goes beyond the bounds of your question, but my favorite part was being in the marching band in college because it took away a lot of the stress of high school marching men where it's very focused on competition. And then you're much more a part of uh, the football game and just like, you're just an added entertainment value. And which was just a blast to be a part of that experience with like thousands of fans, like screaming and, you know, running out on the field and the marching band at JMU is particularly large. When I was in it, there was like 450 people. So It was pretty awesome. So there's two things that come to mind as I listen to you. One is I do think of music as math. So I don't know if that's how it felt to you, but from what I do know about music, when you start getting into theory and all kinds of other things, it actually gets quite technical and maybe you don't feel that it's math, but it's math. And then also I can tell I'm missing all sorts of opportunities to ask about marching bands. Like I'm just, I can feel I'm going to let the opportunity slip right out of my <laughs> my fingers. There's something I should be asking about that. But those, I just have to say those two things before we move on and hear about what you did after college. Although I'll pause on the off chance you want to comment on either thing I just said. I mean, Music theory, yes. I liked that it was very much like math, especially in the like the first few semesters of music. I had to take four semesters of music theory, and the first couple are very math-oriented, and I loved that it was like, I could figure this out. It's very finite, which was nice. The only other thing I'll say about marching band is that it was it was just kind of my shtick, and I loved being a part of it, so much so that I also did this thing called Drum Corps International, which is um, essentially like professional marching band, but you pay them, you, they don't pay you. And you tour all summer around the country performing like in high schools, college stadiums, professional stadiums. And it culminates in Indianapolis for a championship. And it's like a, these entities from all over the country come together to compete. And so that was really fun too, to do in the summers and meet people from all over the country and sleep on buses and on gym floors and do that. So that's like the only other thing I'll say is Marching Man was my shtick, so I couldn't not say something about that. No, I appreciate you saying that. And I was just thinking about you're not the first person I've had on the show who's had a prior life where they were a musician. One person who comes to mind is Chris Rasmussen, who's partner in corporate and worked on a Tony Award winning musical, amongst other things, before going to law school. So I think even helped create might be the proper term, but if this is not unprecedented, but it still is a bit unusual. I think that's for sure. So what happens next? You go to college, you finish college. What do you do? Yeah. So I was lucky enough to get a job teaching band. I got a a job teaching middle school band in Stanton, Virginia, which is also in the Shenandoah Valley, about like 30 minutes from where I went to college, a very small town. I like to describe it as like a Hallmark movie downtown setting, but really gorgeous, really fun place to visit. And yeah, so I taught middle school music for a year there. And I also worked with the high school marching band. It was one middle school, one high school. And so we did a lot of work together and uh, it was a blast. And then I only taught for a year before making my move to the West Coast. So yes, that's what I did. And uh, I moved to the West Coast to be with my wife, who is lives in San Diego and her family is here. And, and then I taught for four years here in San Diego. Who are you teaching in San Diego? I was teaching high school and we did not have a marching band, which was kind of my shtick. But when I moved here, I was just in desperate need of a job. I was like, I'm moving to San Diego with or without a job. And so I was like, I'll take whatever. And so literally the day 
I arrived like July 31st, the day after I interviewed for the job. We hadn't even finished unloading the trailer with my stuff. And I got a call saying like, would you like this job at Crawford High School? And I literally looked on Google Maps to see where it was to figure out like, could I commute there? And then I accepted the job. So the answer is yes. Yes, I will be there. I arrived and I said, do you want to start a marching band? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought that I actually didn't teach marching band. It was wonderful. I taught band, orchestra, guitar, and music theory, and I loved it. It was a an amazing four years at Crawford, and I got to you know kind of the people I started with as the students I started with as a that were freshmen. I left when they graduated, so it was kind of like a nice cycle. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was yeah a really wonderful experience, and and now I actually am still connected with Crawford because incidentally that school has a law academy as a part of the high school. And so we have a connection at the University of San Diego with the Crawford Law Academy. And they came to campus this year for a tour and a session with us. So it was uh, really special. That's really interesting. It's funny. I was thinking back to what you said about your mom's side of the family, all being lawyers and how you, like your mother, at least initially, you avoided the whole lawyer thing, but here we are. And also I have a theory that, whatever someone does prior to law school or prior to working in a big law firm is not lost and is useful and will translate to some aspect, either of practice or client service. And it'll be interesting to see if we get there as we're talking and how you found that your prior experience is either showing up, whether it be in law school or experiences as summer associate. So I just want to plant that seed. We'll see. We'll see if we get there, but I want to, I think even though they sound so different, I'm certain there's things you've learned that are that have, are still really applicable. But with that being said, why law school? Or was it law school? Was it at some point while you were teaching thinking, hey, I want to go to law school? How does that unfold? So for a long time, I thought I wanted to go into school administration. And I had always been interested in education policy. And so I thought I might go to grad school for that or maybe get like certified to become a school administrator. And then talking to those folks, it was just a bit of a different job than I thought it might be. And so I was like, mm, I'm not sure if this really fits with what I'm looking for. So I started you know, researching lots of different grad schools and I didn't really know that much about the realm of education law, but I kind of discovered it in my research and was like, oh, like there's this whole industry of, of education lawyers out there that do things ranging from special education to I mean, like employment, schools are a business. They, you know, it's like everything you can imagine. And so I was like, you know, this actually might be really interesting because I could maybe even work into the policy side, like doing legislative advocacy or lobbying or whatever I might figure out. And so that's what I decided to do. I was like, I'm going to go to law school and try to get into education law. And then I got to law school and it turned out I liked everything. So then I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't go like straight back into a niche field of law and be pigeonholed into being like an education lawyer forever because I know I will like that. But that was the enticement. That was the, I think I'm going to go to law school. How did you navigate that? How did, I mean, you've moved to San Diego. I would love a few words about how you figure out where to go to law school. I mean, the plan was for us to live and work here in San Diego. So at first I was like, I'm only going to apply to the University of San Diego because you know, they have a great alumni network here, lots of resources to get externships, things like that. And so I thought that's the only place I'll apply. And then we were like, well, you know, we could live anywhere for three years and then just like come back. And so hilariously, I applied all over the country. And then in the end, the only two schools I got into were in Southern California. So <laughs> the process kind of made its decision for me, but it was honestly the best outcome because USDS provided me everything that I could possibly want to start a legal career here in San Diego. And, and I ended up at Foley, which has been amazing. And I'm, it was just really wanting to stay in San Diego that drove that decision in the end. Although I want to say kudos to your wife who was game. Like it turns out she didn't have to move, but she was down to move. So I think, you know, <laughs> I'll you know, tip my hat to her because she was ready to support whatever was about to happen. And you then start law school after approximately what was about four or five years, five, five years, years or so. Yes. What's that like? How does that feel when you first started? Well, I will say the nicest thing was that 
I was no longer governed by bells and I was no longer standing up all day. So the schedule was great. <laughs> I got to sit down for the first time and I'm just kidding. And you know, you yes, you are governed by your class structure, but I loved being able to like set my own schedule and have time to do what I needed to do, not just with school, but with life. So actually I really liked that transition. And, you know, for, for anyone that's ever worked in any job, I think I feel like working is way harder than school. So it was really nice to go to back to school. And I think, you know, more and more people are spending at least a couple years working before going to law school. But I mean, I was someone, and granted this is forever ago, but I was someone who did go straight through. Unfortunately, some of my closest friends in law school had spent years off. So I adopted their mentality, but I definitely see that distinction where you're like, yeah, but it's school. And I'm choosing to be here in a way that I get it when you go straight through, you also chose, but I think it's different when you sort of dramatically shifted your life potentially to make it happen. I think that maybe the appreciation of the perspective is a little bit different. It did give me great perspective. And I know plenty of folks who went straight through that are incredibly successful and they have that perspective from their own life experiences. But I think for me personally, I don't think I would have done as well if I had gone straight through. I think I would have just been in a di totally different headspace. So for me, it really worked out well. And I came in, I was like, all right, I just left a job where I had a salary and benefits and all these things. So I'm like, I've got to make sure that I... Well, there's opportunity costs here and it's there's a cost associated with being here. And I had to make sure that I got a job on the other end so that I could... What about the academic adjustment, especially that first semester? I'm like, because it was so different than anything I'd ever done before. Like... I knew, all right, if I practice this piece of music for X amount of hours, I have all the tools I need that I can do it. But this was figuring out a whole new game. And so I was very fortunate to have some attorneys in my family who could kind of just give me a preview of like, this is what law school is going to be like. And they also said, go talk to law students because their experience is going to be even different than their than my family's who went to law school, you know, a couple of decades ago. So that was really solid advice to seek out people who were in it and that could give me just a perspective. And then once I got there, the one thing I will say that is is really nice about law school is that there's a lot of solidarity because everyone is doing the same thing. So it's like, you know what? This is not that fun at first, but everyone's in it together and we're all going to figure it out together. And in the end, it's going to be fine. So I, I kind of liked the solidarity of it, knowing that we were all going through the same challenges. It's funny. I completely agree with you. And I think that's right. So I appreciate you raising it. There's also part of me though, that because everyone's doing the same thing, I think it can be easy to be influenced by, depending on, I don't know how you're wired as a person, because you hear one person say, well, I'm studying this way, or I feel this about this. And you're like, should I be doing that? Because you're all doing the same thing. Well, my friends, they call me a lone wolf during my first semester, because I mostly studied at home and didn't hang out in the library as much. And so I kind of, it worked out for me because I charted my own path and felt confident enough when I didn't fail my classes after the first semester that, all right, this is working and well enough. So I'll keep trying it. But it's an important thing to talk about because when you don't know what's going on and that's, you know, whether you went straight through or spent years working, there is a level of like, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Some people have given me some advice, but like I said, I've talked to other law students, but one, is there some magic to studying at the law school or in the library? Like, is that what I should do? Like, if this was a movie, where would I go study? And should I be in study groups or should I be getting outlines from other people? Or, But I, I think it's so important to acknowledge it may be different from what a way or the subject than what you've learned before. But I think the principles of how you learn best still very much apply. I think it was it was really good for me to try to figure it out on my own a bit. And then after first semester, I felt more comfortable taking information from other people because I could figure out what was going to help. I knew better what was going to help me. And it's an important, pro I mean, the first year of law school is just as much of like a 
personal growth as much as as learning about the law. It's like figuring out this whole new way to process information. And yeah, and that that wanting to take advice and insight from others while still being true to what works for you. So you make it through the first year of law school. Then what happens? This is where I, the whole education law thing like went off the rails because I looked back at my first year and was like, wow, this was also interesting. Like I want to learn more about everything. I think that's also what's magical about a JD is that you know, if, if you took 10 people from our 1L section and asked them what they wanted to do, you could get 10 completely different answers, which is pretty cool. Those 10 people also have different backgrounds too, which is part of the reason why I love this podcast is because everyone does had some weird, crazy thing that they did in their lives that was totally different than the next person. Yeah. So I was like, okay, how can I get as many different experiences as possible was kind of my goal for 2L and 3L. And so I kind of went after the externships, I was really interested in, in doing that because I kind of knew that I would learn a lot by observing practicing attorneys and working with them. So I did an externship at the federal court with the judge. I had done an externship with the general counsel of a school district to see, okay, do I actually like education law? That was really cool. I worked at the U.S. Attorney's Office this past semester. And so I was really trying to see different parts of the law and figure out what I wanted to do. I haven't said this yet, but I did know that I wanted to be a litigator. And I think this ties back into something you mentioned earlier. As a teacher, what I did every day was manage a caseload of 250 students, knowing all of their different interests and needs, and figuring out how do I present that information to a group of 30 of them all at one time, but that they all get it. And to me, I was like, you just replace the students with the jury and also slash like clients. And it's like very natural. How do I take information they don't know and make it accessible for them? Well, that's fantastic. We got that. I queued it up. You just like knocked it out of the park, explaining the the connection there. But also I'm thinking about, like you said, the students are individual, I mean, for lack of a better term, like clients in a way, and you're always on your feet and you're trying to figure out how to synthesize information for them, which is very much what litigators do, but also the interaction between, say, school administration or parents and just the different people or stakeholders, whatever you want to call it, that you're beholden to. I think there's so many corollaries. I think that's exactly right. That's a really interesting analogy, though. That's that's fantastic. So then where does how does Foley start popping up on the scene? Now, I didn't really know much about OCI. And so I was like, OK. I'm just going to apply to as many different places as I can, knowing that my goal was to try to find somewhere where I could try a lot of different things. So in San Diego, there's a lot of options for folks. If they want to do general litigation, you can. If you want to do employment specific, you can. Security, you can go the specific route. But for me, I think I was really looking for an opportunity where I could try a lot of different things. So I was really focused on applying to firms that had those options for summers and really talking to, at that time, I guess, students who were in their summer associate positions was really how I found Foley and was like, it kind of clicked with me. So one of the summers that was here at Foley last summer, and she's starting this fall, Brooke Clark, she spent quite a bit of time just chatting with me about Foley. They gave me an interview. I was like, okay, what do I need to know about this place that is going to you know, help me figure out if it's a good fit for me and if and how can I prepare for these interviews. And just the way she described it was it just, it felt like they were supportive of her in whatever direction she wanted to take. And so that meant a lot to me, knowing that I wouldn't be signing up for a job where I'd be forced to just move in whatever direction the firm wanted. The firm was really responsive to her and I was hopeful that they would be responsive to me. And then I mean, it was really, I think when I interviewed with um, Michael Jew and Krista Cabrera, two attorneys in the San Diego office, we just like clicked. And I was like, I knew that I would work with both of them if I was to be a litigation summer associate. And I was like, I would definitely work with both of these people. Michael is has provided me with a lot. It turns out he's provided me with a lot of work while I'm here. But at the time I was like, wow, I could totally work in the office next to this person and spend time with him. And I know he would be interested in mentoring because they also seem to really take the interview process seriously, but not 
make it so stiff. I don't know. It's kind of hard to put into no, words. No, it's like to be human, while it's important and it is a formal thing, but you can be more, I think, more human and more comfortable. And I also just have to say, thank you, Brooke, because it sounds like she sort of primed primed things. And then you had a good experience while interviewing. Although I want to pause for a moment and just ask your your if you have any tips for anybody heading in to OCI before we get to your actual experience at Foley this summer. So I think my biggest piece of advice is to be flexible in the interview process. I think it's easy to be, it's not necessarily easy, but you should definitely be prepared. You know, do as much research as you can. Like if you're applying to Foley, you should listen to this podcast because you can, you'll get to hear what people are like that work at the firm. And, and I, in my experience, it's very genuine. And so if you're prepared, it allows you to be flexible when you get to the interview to actually respond to what the interviewers are giving you. So like, I vividly remember my interview at, with Foley because I don't think I spoke for more than five minutes of the 20-minute interview. And in high, when I left the room, I was like, oh my gosh, did I even like say enough? But really what was happening was they would ask me a question, I would respond, and then they would say something about themselves connecting to that, and then I would ask them a follow-up. And I don't know if it was a conscious decision in the moment to do that or if it was a response to them. But after doing that interview, which I think was one of my first ones, I was like, actually, that felt really good and maybe I should do that more. So I think it's easy to reserve your questions for the end and and then just be very responsive. Like, all right, here's my two-sentence blurb in response to that and then let's move on. But the best feeling interviews I had were where I was asking them questions right away. It's a real exchange. Also, I like that you said the word blurb. Anyone who's heard me speak at all about interviewing has heard me say to talk in sound bites because it, people don't like to interrupt people, especially the, the attorneys don't like to interrupt the law student. And sometimes students will get nervous and then you've just talked for eight minutes and you only had 20 minutes together. And that's not to say you shouldn't be talking, but I think people often assume the interviewer is going to interrupt them and that's not so much how it works. And then also I would imagine with you, this is a little bit tough, but I think having a genuine curiosity, which I know you had because you'd been seeking out externships and also viewing OCI as a time to connect with a whole bunch of people you've never met before. And of course you want a job to result, but when you're genuinely interested in what the person's saying to you and not just because it leads you to a job, but you're kind of, you're just curious, like what their life is like, how their practice is. I think that can be felt that authentic interest in being a lawyer and in that firm. I agree. And I don't know if it's something you can practice or if you can, but that's where I think the preparation is key because you're not, you're like, I've done all I can to be ready and let me just respond to whatever the vibe is in the room. And it was really easy to just respond to Michael and Krista and be just a part of that moment. Well, I'm almost, I'm laughing to myself because I feel like this is something I'm, I'm also not supposed to say as director of diversity, but the role that vibes play <laughs> in the entire process, frankly, whether it be choosing a college, a law school, or choosing a law firm, that's real. And I, I don't know how to get technical about that, but I do, I do know that that's real. I was actually talking to someone about this the other day. And I think what I told her was that if it felt difficult to have that conversation, then it, it might not be a fit for you. And that's okay. Like if you really struggled to get through, and I've had those interviews where I really struggled to get through. I think that is a vibe. Is It's certainly noteworthy. And I get it. There's some people who's like, hey, but if that's the only job I got, I'm going to do it. And we're like, yes. And we're like, yes, you are. But I do think so much of finding the right place for you professionally is ultimately, and it takes time because you're a new lawyer and there's always going to be kind of feelings of unease, I think, initially. But ideally, it feels good, I dare say. And I don't know if there's a bunch of junior associates who just rolled their eyes and are like, that's impossible. But ideally, it feels overall good to work where you work. But now I'm going to, I'm going to fast forward through, you know, you interview with Foley, you, you get an offer Foley, from Foley, you accept the offer from Foley because you're here, you go back to school and now then you come back. So what's it like being a summer associate? As I said before, it's Foley has responded to everything that I asked of Foley. I 
told them that I wanted to try as many different things as possible and they definitely delivered. And so it's been an incredible, I think, balance for me to get to work with lots of different attorneys, both in the San Diego office and other places. And then also just enjoy getting to know the people. Personally, I really like the size of the San Diego office. We're all on one floor. Like I've gotten to know all of the people that are working here, both attorneys and professional staff, because you out of necessity see them. My office is kind of close to like our little uh, like cafe area. And so people are always walking by, waving, and it's very easy to just be, you feel like a part of the office um, experience. You know, you're not- Yeah, just in general, part of the office. And I will say in at least one other externship, you know, sometimes you're in a closet with the other externs and you don't get to see anyone else. And that's, it's a bummer because you don't feel like you're a part of the workplace as much. You feel like you're a bit siloed and here at Foley, I have not felt that way. So I'm, I'm laughing because I just started rewatching Suits. I'm watching it so too. <laughs> I've watched most of it before and I kind of fell off the last few seasons, but I think about how they have the associate bullpen and it's honestly, Suits is the only lawyer show, even though I didn't stick with did it. Has it even ended? I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I've watched a solid six, seven seasons. It's on Netflix, but it's the only lawyer show that somewhat stuck with me, which is hilarious because it's not particularly accurate. Harvey Specter has a trial one day, he's closed <laughs> the deal the next day, and trial happens in about four days. I mean, but I really enjoy it. But I, but I do think there's, if you don't know what it's like to be a summer associate in most large law firms, the basic things like you get an office, you're generally treated as an associate. It's a little bit different because we also really want you to get to know us because it's an important decision you're making. And also so that when you return, you have relationships and have a sense of who you'd like to reach out to, what you'd like to work on. Although I can already tell with you, JP, the question is they're like, okay, you said you got to do a lot of stuff what kind of stuff? Like whether it be the work stuff or even the social stuff, what kind of stuff? Well, I'll start with the social. And the San Diego has been a really nice balance because we've had about like one thing a week and each week it seems like different attorneys are coming together, which is really fun. But the best, my favorite two events we did were where everyone from the office was together and their families were there. And it's nice because we are a small enough office that when everyone brings their families, it's still easy to talk to everyone. So that's been really fun. Just getting to know people, meeting a lot of their kids, their spouses, their friends, even that come to some of the events. It's really been a lot of fun from the work side. I've gotten to, my goal is to just try like different, uh, I guess how Foley defines them as like practice groups. So we have quite a few labor and employment attorneys here. And so if I really wanted to go down that route, I feel like I could probably make a whole summer out of being a California labor and employment, but. Or a whole life, a whole life out of being a California. <laughs> That's the former employment lawyer. I mean, he's like, That's a whole be a whole other type of L&E work, but go on. So I've done uh, work in labor and employment, securities with some cryptocurrency litigation, some trade secret stuff, construction, class action. I've done, I'm writing an article with the sports and entertainment group. That's a wide variety. You're touching, yeah, most of the practice areas. It's been awesome. And I thought, okay, if I try all these things, maybe I'll cross some things off my list. And then I haven't crossed anything off my list. So that's okay. We're going to be going back to vibes, JP. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What'll happen, my guess is when you start, you'll, you know, you'll see what the work is and that'll get you busy. And then to the extent as you you know, practice for the first few years, you find there are certain things that really draw you in. You'll, you'll move accordingly. Not only have I worked in different practice groups, but also I think the kind of work that I've done has been different. It's been not just like, okay, the classic, you know, research memo. It's been drafting discovery responses, like sitting in on client calls and actually talking to the general counsel from the client, going to hearings, like sitting in while we're taking declarations. So it's been like every, just about every phase of pre-trial litigation has been wonderful. And then also, at least in, in my experience, it's been very affirming that it's hard sometimes to know whether or not you're doing good work, but the attorneys in the San Diego office have done a really good job of letting you know, and not necessarily just directly saying, this was great, but they'll send you the motion that they filed. And then you'll see like a paragraph that you wrote and they didn't change anything. And you're like, 
oh snap, like they trusted my work. And that is some of the best affirmation you can get because they didn't ask questions about it. They just trusted it and they went with it. So that's been pretty cool too. That's all wonderful. And you really did get exposed to a lot, which is absolutely fantastic. And I will say from, I guess, the Foley talent team side of the house, we work hard. I mean, I'm saying this on behalf of Foley's recruiting team right now. We work really hard to, I think, host, I was going to say throw, but it's not a party. I'm like, to throw a good summer associate experience. But really, we really work hard across all of our offices for it to be a great experience. So it's wonderful to hear how that's manifested for you. And I also want to ask, what were your thoughts on the summer associate retreat to Chicago. Remiss, I didn't say it earlier, but that was, I think, one of my favorite things. It happened, it feels like a year ago now, but it was at the beginning of the what summer. Would it be six, seven six or weeks, seven weeks, yeah. That's a year. That's basically a year. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was kind of nice to just be immersed in Foley and not really be able to do anything else, like not have the distractions of whatever else is going on and just be with those people. And I think the San Diego office folks, we got, we were particularly close with some of the other California offices and it was really great to see like, okay, you know, not only do I really like my colleagues here, but it would be wonderful if we all were colleagues, you know, for years to come. Well, you get that opportunity to really see, you literally see the rest of the summer class. So for those listening who don't know, what the firm does is fly all of the summer associates out. This year it was to Chicago and it's, it's usually Chicago. I don't want to make that a promise in case we one day decide to switch it up and have it in another office. And you get about two days of... There's various, I don't just want to call it training and development, but there's some of that as well as different outings and activities. And for me, because I started at Foley shortly before the pandemic, you are now my, I think your first or second, I can't remember, but given how long I've been at the firm, which is over three and a half years, there were a number of summers where we couldn't do this, right? We couldn't bring everyone together. So when I get to step into the room, and see all around a hundred of you all, I can't remember exactly for this year together. It's really, fan, it's fantastic. And it adds, I think, additional perspective in, in terms of, okay, I know there's this many summers in San Diego and this many in LA, but oh my gosh, look at the, the those are the people from New York and there's Chicago and there's Milwaukee and name all the other offices. And I think it's really nice and it can be powerful just to, to see everybody across the firm. It is powerful. And and they also bring, fully brings in attorneys and staff from across the country too. So it's not just the summers you get to meet. You get to meet some of the practice group leaders and, and other professional staff that you actually will get to work with. The whole recruiting team is there, which is really fun. Yes. because Or you get to see the face of the people who've been emailing you. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they do an, an incredible amount of work to put our summer program on and they are incredibly responsive when I have random questions about XYZ. And so it's really nice to be able to meet those folks and spend some time with them as well, you know, when we're we're having dinner together or a coffee break or whatever it might be. So yeah, it was that was really special. And I'm really glad the firm does that. And even firm leaders are there too. Daljeet was there and Stan Jaspin. And so it was really nice to get to meet them as well and hear from them and feel like they treated us like we were part of the firm, which is all you could ask for. I remember I was disappointed that I didn't get to sit in for Dalji Dougal, who's our CEO, and Stan Jasmine, who's our managing partner for their their remarks. But I'm sure you got the impression. And if you, I don't know if you all had a chance to, I can't even remember what programming we had, but to meet, you get the chance if you want to, you can like walk up to anybody and be like, hey, I'm something. And they're like, hey, how's it going? And it's just, I think everybody's really accessible. Well, as we start to wind down, I do want to ask if, but before I get to the your advice part, just if there was anything else you wanted to highlight either about your overall path, your experience, or about being a summer associate before I ask you the your advice question. Sure. I will say the one thing that has really stood out to me about my summer and actually our office managing partner, made like a little blog post from the summers about this, but was that fully, and I guess this is speaking to the San Diego office, but I'm sure it's true across them, is they seem very interested in supporting your career, not just as an attorney, but also as a person. And we've heard the phrase a lot of times that while other firms plan for attrition, fully plans for careers. And for me being, I think I'm like married, I'm thinking about like the future. I have switched like I've left a job thinking really about what's sustainable for my life. That it has meant a lot to see how Foley treats its people when they go through life-changing events. And whether it's 
kids or someone in your family dying, a hardship that you're going through, Foley has treated everyone with respect and dignity, regardless of who they are. And I don't know if the firm sees me watch, like sees me knows that I'm like watching when I see those interactions. But yeah, but it's important. It's really that's something I talk about sometimes because I mean, especially from my perspective, I I know the ins and outs of various dynamics. But that's not something we can put on our website or or put in a brochure that are like specific examples of how the firm really comes together or rallies to support all of our people, we could say it, but you know, you kind of don't believe it until you've, <laughs> you know, have some specific, at least anecdotes. And those are the sorts of things that we can't really share, but I, but you're exactly right. And I'll highlight one resource that the firm has, which is called Confidant Connections, which is folks that have maybe gone through a life event and they are willing to talk to you on a confidential basis, just based on their experience. And I utilize that to talk to an attorney in our office about something that was going on. And so to know that that was there to actually use it as even as a summer associate and it be a positive experience was really affirming to me that I, I felt like, okay, Foley's going to support me as an attorney, give me all the opportunities I want, but also as a person so that I can be a good attorney in the end. Well, I'm so happy that you had the opportunity to share that. It's really, it's powerful. And we've had confidant connections, I think up and running for a couple of years, but it, it's really great to talk about it and to mention it. But then the last big question I have for you is, overarching advice so that, I don't know, new law student or maybe someone considering law school, I'm not quite sure, but what advice would you give to somebody? I think, at least based on my experience, the most beneficial thing that I've kind of tried to embody is to be willing to try as many different things as you can. I mean, I'm treating law school like it's the last time I'm ever going to go to school. And so you have a lot of opportunities as a student that you might not have as a professional to try a lot of different things. And that has been really rewarding for me because I've got to meet a lot of different people and learn a lot of different things. But it's also just helpful. And sometimes you just don't know what you like until you try it. And so I think that's my biggest piece of advice, whether it's with jobs, like applying to lots of different jobs, because you never know what you might be interested in, whether it's externships, taking classes and a lot of different things that you might not ever think you would use. Like I took a contract drafting class, even though I, I don't plan on drafting contracts. And I learned a ton and got and really enjoyed the professor, got in, and enjoyed the people I was in the class with. So be willing to try a lot of different things while you can, because you might not always have the option. As much time. I think that's fantastic advice. A perfect note to end on. My final, final question, if people have questions for you or comments or they want to reach out, can they feel free to find you on LinkedIn and shoot you a message? Yes, please do. Although it may be easier to search for John Riley or J or both JP Riley because my name is John. So thank you. For what it's worth, when I put in JP Riley and Foley, I found you really easily. I'm glad it worked. (laughs) But with that, JP, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Alexis. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley & Lardner, LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. 